So I'm going to answer the question today. I'm in a series on end times, and I'm going to answer the question today. Will the rapture happen before the tribulation? Will the rapture happen before the tribulation? Just poke your neighbor and say, hey, you. Will the rapture happen before the tribulation? Now, some of you may not know what the tribulation or the rapture is, but if you were here last Sunday, you know what the rapture is at least. We'll get into some of this, but let's dive right in today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10, and hopefully we're going to answer that question today. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 10. By the way, I, I don't, for those of you that prayed with me and have been praying for me, thank you. I, I have just, it's so very faint, the ringing in my ears now that I don't even hardly notice it, and we're praying for Brian for your ears to be the same, and we're praying for everybody's healing. Amen? How am I going to keep praying for the healing balm of Gilead to be in this house to heal everybody? Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. If, you're, if you have the reading of God's word, if you'll stand to your feet, whatever form you have, whether it's on paper or in your phone, it'll be on the screen, and we're going to go through this today. This will be the most controversial, probably, message that I preach. Uh, this will be the one that seems to get so many people stirred up for some reason. I'm going to share my viewpoint on it and scripturally why I believe the way I do. And uh, we'll go from there. Amen. Will the rapture happen before the tribulation? 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 10. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We've discovered there's no question. Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour. So, uh, Paul is reiterating this to the Thessalonican church. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to the church now, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So, he's, he's, he's teaching them, and he's saying, hey, you're not ignorant to this thing. You, you, you understand uh, that you're not going to be surprised by the rapture when it comes. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Someone say amen to that. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober, vigilantly watching for the coming of the Lord. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. He's talking to the church here. But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're awake or dead, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Would you... Grab your Bibles in your hand and let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for this day. Thank you for your presence and thank you for our beautiful time in worship. And a reminder that the name of Jesus is greater than anything we'll ever face. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God, I'm asking you right now in the name of Jesus to speak through me. God, that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding to understand the word of God. And I pray, Father God, let this seed be, fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hold your Bibles up and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only. 
deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my eyes, my heart, my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five somebody if you're comfortable. If not, give them an air high five and say, hey. I did not know this at the time, but years ago when my children were small, Caitlin and her little friend Jana decided to play a joke on Haley. You know, those kids are grow up in church. They're little church of God, church kids. They play rapture jokes on each other. That's, that's kind of what church kids do. Well, on this particular day, Haley didn't realize Holly and I weren't there. And Caitlin and this little girl Jana had set her up. They took our clothes out of our closet and laid it in the floor like we had been raptured and they hid in the closet to which Haley came around looking mom dad mom mom dad mom dad ah! <laughs> Haley says she has no cognitive memory of it Caitlin says she was crying and it was all good jokes right so who knows which to believe but it sure is funny nonetheless right <laughs> She done thought the rapture had happened and she was left behind. <laughs> the signs of this age indicate that we're living in the end time. It's very clear. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And as we see the day approaching, more and more people ask the question, will the church go through the tribulation or will the church be raptured out of it? And there are several schools of thought concerning the rapture of the church in relationship to the tribulation. Some people teach a partial rapture. And what I mean by that is they say, well, part of the church will be raptured. The other part will not. And so it's a partial rapture. Some people teach that it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. So they call it a post-tribulation rapture. Some people teach that it is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. So they call it a mid-tribulation rapture. Some people believe that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation occurs. And so that is called the pre-tribulation rapture. So if you're not familiar with church or haven't been around church or in these circles and the prophetic circles, you will sometimes get asked, are you pre-mid or post-trib? So they're trying to figure out where do you stand and where do you believe? So I'll tell you right up front that I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I'm going to give you some reasons today why. I've studied this subject for over 20 years. I've studied it from other people. I've studied it from commentaries. I've studied it from history. I've studied it from the original Greek. I've studied it about every way you can. And I am pretty well satisfied within myself that this God, the rapture is going to be a pre-tribulation before the tribulation rapture. Now, let me just say this. If you believe mid-trib or post-trib, this is not to offend you. Uh, well, I, I have never preached in this church along these lines because it's so divisive and I don't think that's the point of what God is trying to say. I firmly believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, like I said. I'll give you some of the reasons why. It would take me many, many sermons on this. But if you believe otherwise, don't be mad. Don't throw tomatoes at me. Don't give me nasty grams in the mail or on Facebook. I love you. We believe a little different. That's okay. But... I want to tell you why I believe that, if you'll, get, if you'll grant me that. Is that all right today? So point number one is this. The church will be raptured away. There's no question about that. We talked about that last week. There's a great deal of conflict, just in a little bit of a recap, and confusion on this particular subject. 
what is meant by the word rapture. Because some people get so tore up over the word rapture. It's not in the Bible. Well, yes, but neither is Trinity, neither is uh, uh, the, the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That word doesn't appear. Neither do demons appear in the Bible. There's descriptions of them. That's our word that we use to describe them. And it's the same way with rapture. I know the word rapture is not in the English translation of the Bible. But the meaning of being caught up together certainly is. Can we at least agree on that? Someone say amen. The word comes uh, from the Latin and Greek, the Latin Vulgate, common Latin, and Greek, the Koine Greek, common Greek, the common language people, comes from, on the Latin side, the Latin word rapios, which means to snatch away suddenly. On the Greek side of things that you find in your Bible, in 1 Thessalonians, harpazo, which means to snatch away, catch away using force, as we described your little child or grandchild's running out in the street. You see a speeding car. You don't have time to yell. They won't listen quick enough. The car's right there. You reach down, grab them by the shirt, yank them out of danger's way, and, and they just fly through the air wondering what's going on. That is the word in Greek used here to describe what we call the rapture. And John 14, 3, Jesus was the first to say about this. He said, for I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus was the first one to talk about it, at least in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. For the Lord himself, we talked a lot about this last week, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be Caught up together. Everybody say caught up together. That is the word. That's, that phrase there is a Greek word that we use the word rapture for. That's what rapture literally means. To be caught up together. With them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And we shall. So we shall always be with the Lord. So we know the rapture is going to happen. After struggling against great odds. To protect and to defend his adopted home against the Japanese and the Philippines and the island and the fortress at uh, Corregidor in early World War II, General Douglas MacArthur got orders from President Franklin D. Roosevelt in March of 1942 to get out of the island of the Philippines and go. On his way off the island, I love it, he declared and was quoted as saying, I shall return. I love that. Well, i got to tell you something. When Jesus left this earth, he shouted and declared, I shall return. How many of you are glad that Jesus is coming back? Amen. How many are glad? Have you seen the news? How many of you are glad Jesus is coming back? When will the rapture take place? So we understand there's a rapture. We know we're at the end times. We know... Listen, there's not one prophecy unfulfilled in the Bible that would prevent the coming of the Lord. I heard recently even, oh, the rapture's thousands of years away. I don't believe that. I'm not even sure it'll be tomorrow away. It could happen any moment. I, I, I truly believe that. So will the saints of God, the true believers, be taken out of this world before the tribulation period? Will Christ's church go through the entire tribulation period before they are raptured? Let's just take a look at some of these scriptures and see. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. But there is an order to this resurrection. Everybody say there's an order. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. 
then all, all who belong to Christ will be raised when he what? Comes back. So right in one scripture alone, you can throw out partial rapture uh, theory right off the bat. That God takes some and he doesn't take others of his church. Because the Bible says all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So since those who are in Christ is classified as being Christ that is coming, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So that takes care of that. Let me just throw a couple other little nuggets at you here. If post-tribulation rapture was correct, and I studied this from an open heart to find out, do I really just want to get out of what's coming to this world? Is that why I want to believe in a pre-trib rapture? Or is it really biblical? Well, if you believe in a post-trib rapture, you could very easily predict and the start of the rapture and just go seven years from there and narrow it down to the day. Yet Jesus said, no one knows the day nor the hour. So how could it be a post-trib rapture when you could just simply go back to the start of the tribulation at seven years and go seven years forward? You could put it on your calendar and say, this is the day the rapture is going to happen. Yet the Bible says it's impossible. And then there are some that say, well, I believe in a mid-tribulation rapture. I'll tell you why I don't. One reason is the first three and a half years of the tribulation are actually not too terribly bad. They're bad, but the really heavy, raunchy, awful stuff happens in the last three and a half years. As a matter of fact, the Antichrist is going to trick the Jewish people into thinking he's got a pact with them. And then he's going to snooker them. And he's going to set himself up on the throne in the temple and make himself as if he is God. That's biblical. Now, it's interesting to me that they're talking about the Jews rebuilding a temple on the Temple Mount. Now, what's interesting to me is this. They have studied this. I have seen the golden menorah myself when I've been to Israel. I've seen the silver trumpets. They have everything that you read in the Old Testament for a temple. They actually have it other than they don't have the temple. They have a solid gold menorah. They've got all that. I've seen it with my own eyes. What's interesting to me is, is they pulled together all the rabbis and the architects and everybody in Israel, and they determined how long, once we get the go-ahead, how long will it take to build the temple before we can occupy it and start worshiping in it. And very interestingly enough, it's 42 months exactly, three and a half years. Which lines up perfectly with the Bible that for three and a half years the Jews will build a temple thinking that they're in cahoots with the Antichrist. And on the day that they go to celebrate the inauguration, he's going to snooker them, set himself in there like he's God and annihilate the Jewish people. So if you could measure halfway through the start of the tribulation, then you could just go if it's mid-trib, three and a half years or 42 months, and again circle the day and the hour. Maybe not hour, but at least the day on the calendar. Say, this is the day that the Lord's coming back for his church. But the problem is, Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour. Thus, part of the reason that I have concluded in 20 years of studying this, that it has to be a pre-tribulation rapture. Furthermore, nowhere in scripture, listen to me, nowhere in scripture is the church mentioned as being on earth during the tribulation. You can't find it anywhere in the Bible. People put scriptures out of context, but it is simply not found. The church is not mentioned as being on earth during the tribulation. Nowhere. As a matter of fact, the tribulation in the Old Testament is called Daniel's 70th week or the time of Jacob's trouble. 
So let me just throw you a few scriptures. Jeremiah 37. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So the tribulation is a time of judgment on the world and really Israel, according to Jeremiah. In Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make an atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So again, no place in scripture does the church be is mentioned as being on earth during the tribulation period. So point number two is this, and I'm going to start giving you a whole bunch now as to why it, the scriptures seem to line up, at least for me. The rapture will deliver the church from the wrath to come. Somebody say amen. There is a wrath to come. But the rapture is our blessed hope we talked about last week to deliver us from that wrath to come. Somebody say amen. amen. The very nature of the tribulation prevents the church from going through any part of it. I've had people tell me, Pastor Dallas, I just don't agree. I mean, man, he said we would suffer persecution. Yes, we'll suffer persecution, but we will not go through judgment. We've already judged ourselves guilty when we cried out for mercy at the foot of the cross. We've already said, I'm guilty. I judge myself guilty. I need your grace. And now when God looks down on us, he doesn't see us guilty. He sees us covered in the blood of his son Jesus. He sees that our sin was imputed and placed on Jesus Christ. And we are clean and holy in his sight. Woo! The church is, listen, listen, let me just say this. The church is not and should not be looking for wrath should not be looking for the judgment of God. The church rather should be looking for the blessed hope, which is deliverance from God's judgment on this earth. As a matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we talked about it last week, that Paul ultimately, the Holy Spirit, not Paul, but the Holy Spirit, gave us a beautiful description of the rapture of the church. So let's break down 1 Thessalonians 5 real quick. Verse 1 through 3. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It lines up with all the scriptures Jesus talked about that we shared last week. He is coming, and we're not going to know when it's going to happen. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So Paul's writing, he's saying, hey, for those that don't are not saved, those who have not given their life to Jesus, there's a destruction coming. But it's like he can read the Thessalonican church's mind because in verses 4 through 6, he's going to say, now wait a minute here, let me shift gears. He goes on to give the church consolation. He says the first three verses, he said, bad stuff's coming and they're not going to escape it. But I've got good news for you. How many are ready for some good news? He goes on to give the church consolation as if to say, Brothers, don't even worry about the tribulation period. Verse 4 through 6. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that the day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and be sober. It's like he's comforting them and saying, hey, this ain't going to surprise you. Now, the moment it happens might, but you should be looking and preparing and knowing the coming of the Lord is coming. Amen? 
He goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's saying that God has not appointed us to wrath. He is talking to the church here. He is talking to believers in the Thessalonican church, the children of the light, and he is saying, you're not appointed to wrath. So he's talking to the church, but you've got to understand something here. When he says, I've not, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to receive salvation, we read salvation, and we think forgiveness of sins. That is not what he's meaning here in the context of this chapter or in the meaning from the Greek. The, he is saying that this salvation of the body of Christ is for the body of Christ. It is for the catching away of the saints to meet the Lord in the air. What he's saying is, you're not going to suffer that destruction. God's going to get you out of here. Someone say amen. And this is verified by verse 10 that says, He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're living or we have died already, we may live together with Him. Someone say amen. This has always been God's principle of operation. Go back to Genesis. And the first judgment on the earth was what? It was the flood. But I want you to notice that God would not permit destruction on the earth until he first got his people out. Genesis 7:1. Watch what the Bible says here. Then the Lord said, the Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Watch this. I have found you to be in right standing with me, doing the right thing. Therefore, I am not going to let you go through the destruction that is coming. As a matter of fact, there's a very interesting thing. One day I need to preach on the ark because I, although the ark is, is better to even go there. But did you know when the Bible says that uh, Noah pitched, says he pitched basically a tar-like substance on the inside and outside of the ark. He was making it waterproof. He took a tar-like substance, and the Bible says he used pitch, and he, and he basically, he sealed the ark inside and out. The word pitch there is the same word for atonement in the Old Testament. So when Noah and his family walked in the ark, they were walking under the atonement. Because Jesus Christ is our ark of safety. Somebody say amen. Come on, give God praise. Come on, that's, come on, that's gooder than you're giving a hand clap for now. God would not permit his righteous people to be destroyed with a judgment on the earth. Watch what goes on. Genesis 7, 16. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing. And as God had commanded Noah, and the Lord what? Shut him in. Now next week I'm going to be talking about Matthew 25 where when the Lord came back for the virgins, he brought them in and the five foolish knocked on the door and they said, let us in. He said, I'm sorry, the door is shut. And I don't know you. I want to tell you something. There's coming a time when the Lord raptures us. He is shutting us away from destruction and shutting us into him. Somebody say amen. This is glorious here. So you look at the very first judgment of God on anybody on the earth. And God would not allow his true righteous people to be judged in that destruction. He saved them from it. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9 says it this way. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. Stop right there. God will provide rest for us 
when Jesus appears in heaven. If we're going through the tribulation, that doesn't sound like a very good rest to me. Amen? He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God, bringing judgment on everybody, bringing judgment on who? Bringing judgment on those who what? Don't know God. Well, brothers and sisters, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you know God. That means the judgment ain't on you. Somebody say amen. So it says, in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. Let me just tell you something. We tend to look at Jesus and the church like this little baby in the manger and He was helpless and He died on a cross. And Jesus, I want to tell you, when Jesus shows back up, folks, He ain't that baby in a manger. He is the King of kings. He is the victorious conquering hero coming on a white horse and you won't even want to know what he's going to do to the devil and his angels. He is coming back with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth and he'll rescue his people. Woo! We don't serve a wimpy Jesus. We serve a commander of all the universe. Hallelujah! The Bible tells us that Jesus will deliver us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Watch this. And to wait for his son from heaven. What does that mean, wait for his son from heaven? Waiting for the rapture. And to wait, another way to say it would be, and to wait for the rapture for Jesus, who was raised from the dead. Watch this. Even Jesus, who what? Delivers us from... In one verse, it's right there. Wait for Jesus to come from heaven in midair and deliver us from the wrath, the tribulation to come. Is this good news to anybody? This is great news. Luke 21, 34 to 36. Be careful, Jesus speaking, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray. Watch this. You may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. I have seen people say, oh, you pre-trib people. You just want to escape. Well, that's what Jesus said. So, yeah, I want to escape. <laughs> Count me guilty. I figure if Jesus said I can escape it, why would I want to go through it? I'm not the smartest guy, but if he said I can escape it, I want to escape it. Amen. You're just an escapist. Yes. Yes, I'm guilty. I'm an escapist. What about you? Do you want to be an escapist? Yeah. If Jesus said we will be able to escape all that's about to happen, I want to escape it. So let's look at the second major judgment on. Because what you start, it's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the law of first mention in the Bible. 
When you have something that starts the Bible, unless noted otherwise, you interpret it the rest of the way through the Bible. So the first judgment on the earth was Noah, yet God spared his people. The second judgment you find, overall judgment, is in Sodom and Gomorrah. So the question is, did God spare the righteous people of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, let's take a look. Genesis 19, 15 through 17. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Now, the New Testament calls him a preacher of righteousness, and he was vexed with the sin of his being. So he was a righteous man. So the angels come, and they say, Lot, you and your daughters get out of here before the city gets punished. But he hesitated, so the man seized his hand, and the hand of his wife, and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. If God's compassion is on them in the Old Testament, how much more in the New Testament? See, so grabbed him by the hand and said, listen, you're going to die in the city if you don't get out, basically. Grabbed him by the hand, begins walking them out. And watch this. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, one said, oh, here's the word again. Ooh, escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape twice now to the mountains or you'll be swept away. So he comes to... The righteous people, Lot, his wife, and there's two daughters, and he says, you guys got to get out of the city because punishment is coming. Now, they further wait and hesitate a little bit, but if you drop down to verse 22, this is huge. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. And he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not, watch this, overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry escape there, watch this, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. The angel said, destruction is coming on Sodom and Gomorrah, but we can't touch it till the righteous are gone. Guess what? There is a coming destruction to this earth called the tribulation, and God will not permit his people to suffer through that. Amen. It's biblical. You start in the Old Testament. You see the outpouring of judgment. And God constantly pulls his people out. In Revelation chapter 2 through 3. Listen. There are seven churches mentioned. And they are representative of the seven dispensations of the era of grace. The first church represents the first church when Jesus Christ helped birth it. The seventh church. The last one is Laodicea. Which is certainly... Uh, what we experience in America is the lukewarm church. But here's what I want you to catch. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 to Revelation 22, 21, the rest of Revelation. Everyone look at me. Everyone look at me. And I want you to hear this. Revelation 4, 1 to the end of Revelation is where all the bad stuff happens. It's like, you know, ooh, that's a scary movie. Get the popcorn and a blanket. We're going to see what happens. All the tribulation, all the judgments, all the stuff you find is all between Revelation 4.1 and Revelation 22.21. Guess what? The church is not mentioned not one time as being on earth from Revelation 4.1 on. The only time the church is mentioned in Revelation 4.1 and on is being in heaven. We're not on the earth during the tribulation, folks. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 4, chapter 4 through 22, the Bible declares the church or the people of God are always seen as in heaven. 
And it's interesting to me because before the fourth chapter of Revelation, the church is mentioned 14 times in Revelation 1 through Revelation 3. And every time that 14 times they're mentioned in Revelation 1 to Revelation 3, they're always seen as on earth. From Revelation 4, 1 on, they're only ever seen in heaven. What happens between the last verse of Revelation 3 and the first verse of Revelation 4? The rapture. We're out of here. Somebody say amen. Is anybody excited about this? Beginning with the fourth chapter, the only thing that makes sense is that we're caught up together to be with the Lord in the air. Let me further prove some, just look at some things in Revelation. Let's take a look at Revelation 11, 3 through 10. And I just want you to look at this logically with me. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during the 1260 days. Now, again, there's a debate, so I don't want to get in this long debate. But just to give you an idea, I firmly believe that it's Enoch, and I firmly believe it's Elijah, because they didn't die. They were taken up to heaven. They never experienced death. And I believe those are the two prophets coming back, personally. These two prophets are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. I mean, this is like Avengers kind of stuff. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. I mean, man, you mess with them dudes, they just let fire come from their mouths. Can you imagine? They have power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall as long as they prophesy. That's a clue that maybe Elijah, because he did that. They have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. Don't make them dudes mad. When they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit, watch this, will declare war against them. He will conquer them and kill them. And their bodies, listen, will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified, so it's definitely Jerusalem. And for three and a half days, all peoples, everybody say all. All peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. Every human being on this earth will stare at their bodies. How can everybody do that in Jerusalem? Well, probably TV, probably social media. Somebody will put a camera on and everybody in the whole world can watch, okay? And their bodies will lie in the main street, okay? And for three and a half days, everybody will stare at their bodies. Watch this. No one will be allowed to bury them. All the people, I say all, all the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tortured them. I, I, so I have several questions. Why would... God sent two prophets to torture his people. If you had two prophets come out of heaven from God and they were doing these miracles, I promise you, every Christian would buy every plane ticket and, and, and rent out every 747 they could find and go over there to be part of their ministry. And how many Christians do you know would celebrate like it's Christmas and give gifts for three and a half days because those two people of God died? It doesn't make sense. The church isn't here in Revelation 11. Why? Where are we? We've been raptured and we're in heaven with Jesus. Someone say amen. Do you see this? There's another proof of the pre-tribulation rapture and it's found in 2 Thessalonians 2. Now you have to understand that the two books of Thessalonians are devoted to the coming of the Lord. They are called the books of Advent. 
the Apostle Paul had written the first book of Thessalonians describing the rapture of the coming of the Lord. But somewhere between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, someone wrote a letter, forged his name, and said the rapture's already happened and you guys are going through the tribulation. Well, this freaked everybody out in the church in Thessalonica because they had the second letter of Paul that says, wait, you're not going to go through the tribulation. So Paul now writes a second letter to Thessalonians to correct what somebody did in his name. And here's what he wrote, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. That's called the rapture. Everybody say rapture. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, basically, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining. Everybody say, what is restraining? That he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So basically, the spirit of Antichrist, he said, is already at work. How many see that in, in the world today? But watch this. Only he who now restrains... Notice that he is capitalized here. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So Paul warns him. He says, don't let anybody deceive you. He said, the day is not going to come until there's a great apostasy and a great falling away, which we do see in some countries. Paul then said that this revelation of the Antichrist could not happen until he who restrains is now out of the way. The word restrains here means to hold fast, to hold back, or detain. So when the restrainer is removed, that will release the Antichrist to be revealed on the earth. Why haven't we seen the Antichrist revealed? Because the restrainer is holding him back. So, I have some questions. Who is it that restrains? Who is it that is holding the Antichrist back from being revealed? What is the restraining force? Well, I believe a clue is the he is capitalized both times in that verse, and it means the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who's restraining the Antichrist back. Somebody say amen. So in order for the Holy Spirit to be taken out of the way, then spirit-filled believers like you and I who are filled with the Holy Spirit have to be taken out of the way. I have a question. How else other than the rapture can every Christian person on the earth be eliminated at the same time? The only way it can happen is the rapture of God's church, which takes the Holy Spirit back into heaven with us, and now the Antichrist is loose to do his work. There's no other way for this to happen. So as the body of Christ, we don't need to be looking, listen, for wrath and judgment and fury to be poured out on the earth. What we need to do is look up and lift our heads for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't need to be looking for the tribulation. We need to be looking for the rapture. The word Maranatha is a Syriac expression that means our Lord comes. 
As a matter of fact, it was used as a greeting in the early church. So when believers in the early church came and saw one another, at the beginning and the end, when they first saw them, they wouldn't say hello. When they left, they wouldn't say goodbye. They would say, Maranatha. But basically, they were constantly reminding each other, our Lord comes. Our Lord comes. Our Lord comes. When they left the church, our Lord comes. When they came to the church, our Lord comes. That was the greeting. Man, if we had that same upward look today, it would revolutionize the church and revolutionize the world. Because I believe the church has been lulled to sleep. We need to look up and expect the Lord could come any day. Maranatha, our Lord comes. There's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the coming of the Lord. There are no scriptures to prevent it. The word of God warns us about becoming so engrossed in these times and so busy with the cares of life that the coming of the Lord will take us away. Why? Because he said in Matthew 24, 44, he will come in an hour we think not. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, he will come as a thief in the night. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, he will come suddenly in a moment. So I have a question for you. Are you ready for the rapture? Is your heart prepared for this glorious event? Are you like the guy that purifies himself so you'll be pure when he comes back? Or are you like the one that says, where is the promise of his coming? And live as though it will never happen in your lifetime. Let me close with a story. Well, on a South Pole exhibition, expedition, excuse me, British explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton left a few men on Elephant Island promising that he would return. Later, when he tried to get back, there were huge icebergs blocking the way. But if by some miracle, the ice split, he sailed through the middle. And by the time he got through the ice to get over to Elephant Island to get his men that he had left there, the ice closed behind him. It was a miracle. When he got the boys, they, they, no sooner had the ship cleared the island... Ice crashed behind them. They rolled up their sleeping bags. They grabbed their belongings. They jumped on the ship just in time and got out of there. Here's what's interesting. Contemplating the narrow escape, the explorer, the captain, said to his men, listen very closely. He said, it was fortunate you were all packed up and ready to go. They replied, we never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other, the boss may come today. What would happen if the church would roll out of the bed in the morning and look to their spouse and say, hey, we got to do all we can for Jesus today, live for him because the boss may come today. What would happen if the church started looking up and saying, man, he could come back right now. Woo. Oh, I'd like for you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Is there anybody in here under the sound of my voice that would say, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? I don't. This whole rapture stuff, it kind of wigs me out, Pastor. But you have a choice today. For those of us that live for Jesus takes us out of here before the wrath to come. I believe it sincerely after decades of studying this. And I just gave you some of it. 
you're in here right now, maybe your heart is beating. You say, I don't have Jesus Christ. I don't have the Lord in my life, but I'd like to. No one looking at you anybody at all. I want to be raptured ready. No hands going up. That's okay. Take this word of God in your heart. Now, I want to encourage you, church. Well, thank you, Lord. There was healings at this altar last week. Are you ready? Are you living your life ready? Because we don't know the day nor the hour. Who knows? The trumpet could sound today and we could all be gone. If you think it's hard serving God now while the Holy Spirit is here, not much worse when He's gone. Can you imagine a world where the Holy Spirit is gone? Trainer leaves. Spirit-filled believers leave and there's nothing but evil left. Oh God, spare us. 